Well, I want to start with a confession. And uh, that is that my impression of the late Prince Philip possibly isn't what it could have been. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of media reports over the past years of uh, a car crash involving Prince Philip and uh, descriptions of an impatient, cantankerous old man. And uh, I guess that coloured my opinion. But over the past week, it's been hard to avoid little snippets on the media, isn't it, um, that explain a bit more about his life. And uh, I've come to understand a more full picture of, uh, of the man. And uh, there's an image in my mind that I've seen, um, uh, uh, sorry, an image I've seen a few times that stays in my mind of uh, a young Princess Elizabeth gazing up longingly into the eyes of her future husband. And it was kind of like the little cuddle that these guys had during the worship time here. They were just gazing <laughs> lovingly into each other's eyes. Well, we were right behind you. <laughs> it's back row stuff, guys. But seeing those images, I thought, okay, there's a lot more to the person than what I thought. And it's, um, it's softened my view. And often when we meet someone or hear of someone, we have a first impression. And over time, as we get to know that person and understand them in a more full and complete way, our, our impression of them changes, doesn't it? Um, how we respond to them, um, how we react to, uh, to them or to uh, experiences of them. And I guess you can think of someone who's part of your life who perhaps when you first met you had a certain impression. Um, and over time, that uh, impression has changed. When Jane and I first met, uh, on Beach Mission many years ago, uh, I thought she was quiet and dull. <laughs> she thought I was loud and obnoxious. I was wrong, she was right. But I'm hoping I've mellowed over the years. But uh, obviously as we got to know each other, we got to the stage of marrying and uh, are happily married still. But our lives change, our opinions of people change as we learn something more of them. And over the past few weeks, we've been deliberately learning more about God. We're considering his heart. Our theme, of course, for the year is being wholehearted. And we realised as a teaching team, team, the best way to start exploring that was to explore the heart of God. And I wonder what it is that you've learnt more of God and whether that's changed anything in your life. Just to recap... Rihanna spoke to us about the love of God. Uh, I spoke about God's goodness. Pam talked to us about God's mercy. Steve talked to us about God being steadfast. Samuel about God's purity. Joel gave a testimony that talked uh, about God's faithfulness and provision. Over Easter, Pam and Josh, uh, Josh spoke to us about God's forgiveness. Um, last week, Adam spoke about the wicked nature of the human heart and how living in proximity with God could change our hearts. And today I want to bring all of this together with a question, just one question. But first, keep in mind that as we explore who God is and his nature, that our understanding and our minds and our language and our ability to express that is limited. God is God, we are human, but we give it our best even though it may be inadequate. But there's revelations and reminders of who God is all through the Bible. 
in my own devotional time, I've been reading through the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And there are so many revelations of who God is through the book of Deuteronomy and constant reminders of who he is and what he's done. The people of Israel are constantly being reminded that God made a promise to Abraham hundreds of years ago that there would be a great nation, that they would have their own land, that they would be his people and God would be their God. They're constantly reminded of the escape, the miraculous escape that God led them from Egypt, from slavery. They're constantly reminded of his miracles and his power and his provision for them and the victory over their enemies. And there's a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that summarises all of this. And it says, Now search all of history from the time God created people on the earth until now and search from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything as great as this ever been seen or heard before? Has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from fire as you did and survived? Has any other God dared take a nation for, for himself out of another nation by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, a powerful arm and terrifying acts? Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt right before your eyes. And that's just one example of the revelation of who God is and how the people got to know him more and more and more. So over the past weeks, as we've been exploring the heart of God, hearing more about him, or perhaps being reminded of things we'd heard some time ago, this is my question. What should be our response? What should be our response if we're hearing these amazing things about God, delving into his nature, his character, his very heart, what should be our response? Does it go in one ear and out the other? Does what we hear stay with us for a time and then something else takes centre stage of our attention? Or does it sink into our minds and into our hearts? and become part of our lives? And if so, how do we know? Often in the Bible, when there's some revelation or new understanding of God, what follows is a required response of the people. That first passage I read was from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Then a few verse, uh, chapters later, in chapter 6, we read this one. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly, there's that word, we're going to hear it a bit this year, to these commands that I'm giving you today. So the revelation is that in all of history, there is no God like God. No one can do it like he can. And the required response is love him with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength, and be wholeheartedly committed in obedience. Sometimes people look at this verse and think about what does it mean to love God with your heart, or with your soul, or with your strength. And that can be helpful. But I think the context of the verse says, love God with all that you've got, with everything that you are. As I was reading more about this verse during the week, I learned that in ancient Hebrew, 
the first word of that passage, listen, listen, O Israel, listen means so much more than just letting the sound waves enter your ears. The word in ancient Hebrew is shema, S-H-E-M-A, shema. And it means to pay attention to this, to heed, to focus on it, to allow these words to sink in, to let them provide some new understanding and to generate a response. It means to listen and obey because in ancient Hebrew there was no separate word for obey. The word listen and obey is two sides of the same coin. So in other words, in ancient Hebrew, listening and doing are basically the same thing. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 13, for they look but don't really see. They hear but don't really listen or understand. So with all that has been considered about who God is, I ask the question again, what must be our response and the answer is that it has to be obedience that leads to some form of action because the evidence of really listening is seen in our actions and you know if you've asked a young child to do something would you pack away your toys now turn off the tv would you help me get ready for the evening meal we know that the young child has heard us by their response. Hopefully, which leads to action, not complaint. So obedience that leads to action is the only sure measure of successful living. So for Israel, to love God meant faithful obedience to God. This is why the words listen, shema, and love are so tightly connected and repeated constantly throughout the Bible. But God's love for us is more than a feeling of affection towards the people. It's also an action. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Because he, that's God, loved your ancestors, he chose to bless their descendants. And he personally brought you out of Egypt with a great display of power. Because God loved, he did this. And we read in the New Testament in Romans chapter 5, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Because God loved, he did this. So over the past few weeks, have you listened and heard that God is love? If so, then be consistently loving to others considering their needs above your own. Over the past few weeks, have you heard about God's goodness? If so, then proactively seek out the best in others. Go out of your way to do what you know is right, even if it's not convenient or if it costs you something. Over the past few weeks, have you heard that God's heart is a heart of mercy? Then don't judge others, but make allowances for the fault that all of us have. And don't hold others to higher expectations that you have for yourselves. Over the past few weeks, have you heard that God's heart is steadfast towards us? 
then be loyal and reliable in the manner in which you relate to others. Over the past few weeks, have you heard that God's heart is a heart of purity? Then ask God to shine his light into the dark corners of your life to reveal those things that need to be brought to light. Over the past few weeks, have you heard that God is faithful and that he will provide? Then trust. Simple. Trust. Catch yourself worrying or being anxious and give it to God. Over the past few weeks, have you heard about God's amazing forgiveness? Then forgive. And I mean really forgive others. Don't revisit past hurts or retell stories of wrongs that have been done to you. Over the past few weeks, have you heard about God's heart that can set the desires of your heart in alignment with his? Then have daily time with him. Be in close proximity to him and let him renew your heart. I don't know whether you remember the old TV show, Romper Room. Does anyone remember that? Or was anybody on Romper Room? (laughs) For those who don't know, it was a a show that um, was produced locally and I think also in Sydney. And uh, there was a host, Miss Kim, and children could apply to go on Romper Room. And it was a a short half-hour show. They'd do activities and play games and sing songs and so forth. But there was a puppet character on... uh, Romper room called Mr. Doobie. Yeah, okay, because here's some singing the song already. But there was a Mr. Doobie song that said, I always do what's right and never do anything wrong. I'm a romper room doobie, I do be all day long. We get the concept of that, trying to teach children to do the right thing. But what child or what adult could say, I always do everything right and never do anything wrong? (laughs) That's not how it goes. And so the concept of seeking to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind, with all that we have, and responding to God's perfect heart is not about feeling guilty when we miss the mark. Because we will miss the mark and possibly before the sun sets today we're going to miss the mark in some way. But it's about a mind that is resolute, that is absolutely set, unswervingly in pursuing a godly life. Knowing that at times we'll miss the mark, but that is where our mind is set. The passage we read says, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. So it's about being absolutely set on what is our target but also having a heart that's teachable and humble and open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Here's another way to look at it. I was reading a book recently, and in that book, the author referred to an old artist, uh, a painter. And uh, this artist painted paintings uh, that had a religious theme about them. And he said, I can create admirers of the faith, through my paintings, but I don't create followers of the faith. And I thought about that and I thought, how true is that, that people can admire the faith but not actually follow the faith? You see, an admirer sees something that appeals to them but goes no further than that. 
where a follower makes a commitment and makes some form of action to live out that commitment. My own story of how I became a Christian is a little bit like that. I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home. Dad was a church minister, now retired. And so Sunday mornings, I would either sit in church and listen to Dad preach or go out to Sunday school where Mum would talk. (laughs) They were both good options, though. They were both amazing in their faith, and uh, I'm blessed to have them as my parents. But uh, in home, we heard the Bible stories. Uh, I knew about God's love for us. Um, I knew that Jesus died for us so we could be saved and and all those sorts of things that uh, are important for for children to know. Um, But I hadn't come to a point of actually owning it for myself and that's such an important thing to do. And one particular Sunday morning, I must have been 10 or 11 I guess, feeling unwell, quite unwell and I asked mum could I stay home from church. Now that was just a no-no, you did not stay home from church. But mum could see that I wasn't well so she said yes I can on the proviso that I would read my Bible. So I promised to do that. They left for church. I was lying in bed feeling unwell, flipped open my Bible to Revelation, a book of the Bible that every 10-year-old should be reading. (laughs) And this verse popped out to me that said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I suddenly realised that God was there at the dawn of time. He was there at the creation of time. And that he was going to be there at the end of time as we know it. And I wanted to be there with him. And I said, God, yes, I want to live my life for you. I want to be yours. But it didn't change my life. Next day at school, I was with my friends who were great friends but not Christians. I knew the bad jokes. I used the bad words. And nothing changed. And I think at that stage I was an admirer of the faith stepping towards being a follower. I admired what mum and dad believed. I admired dad's preaching, mum's teaching in Sunday school. There were lots of things about the Christian faith I admired. I admired who God was and I wanted to be there with God. But it wasn't until I was in high school and met a friend who challenged me, not through words, but just his actions. He was a Christian. He didn't tell the bad jokes or use the bad words. And I realised if I was really going to live out my Christian life, I had to ramp it up a little bit. And that was when I think I really became a follower, not just an admirer. Perhaps the table on the screen behind me uh, may help. So I think an admirer is someone who is inactive. And you can imagine someone at an art gallery admiring a picture. They stand still, there's no growth, they're not going anywhere. They may call others over to have a look, they may not. But a follower takes action. And uh, I love David's uh, communion message. I always love it when you're up there. David, you do a super job. But coaxing people to follow Jesus, that's, that's what he did. He called them to follow him. And there would be challenges that those people had as followers and there's challenges that we have as followers as well. But we grow through the challenges to become more Christ-like. An admirer doesn't grow. A follower does grow. And as Adam mentioned last week in his message, that when we follow Jesus, our lives aren't diminished, but rather they're enriched to the maximum. An admirer is someone who's half-hearted. When the thing that they admire is out of sight, well, it's probably out of mind. 
And if they're not physically close to this thing, in close proximity, it's easy for something else to grab their attention. There's some interest, but no real effort. A follower, no prizes for guessing the word that's going to appear on the screen, is wholehearted. <laughs> but it's the sole focus of what they do, of who they are, and wherever they go, what they do and what they say, their dreams, their hopes, their choices are all focused through that lens. There's no rivals for their attention. There's no forgetting it because it becomes part of who they are. An admirer pays a low cost. And again, thinking of that idea of being in an art gallery, most galleries would be free. They could walk in, they could look at what they see, admire their painting and go. Maybe there's a token cost, it's something minimal. But if there was a significant cost, they think, well, that's a bit of a rip-off, I'm not going to go in there. Easy come, easy go. There's no personal cost of understanding what the worth or the value of that thing is. For example, if I pay a few dollars for something like a cheap watch and I happen to lose that watch somewhere around the house, I might look for it for a few moments. If I can't find it, well, it doesn't really matter. It didn't cost me much. But if I have a watch that I paid hundreds of dollars for and couldn't find that, I wouldn't stop searching till I found it because I understand its value. So a follower pays a high cost to follow. In Matthew 16, Jesus says uh, to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. So there is a high cost for being a follower, but there's also a high reward for being a follower. Being a follower requires intention, it requires will and sacrifice, a lifelong commitment. And for me, that initial decision to be a follower in my early high school years meant that at times my days at high school were a bit difficult. People would ask me, am I a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. And uh, there were times I was given a hard time for that. But it's a low cost really to pay. So I wonder, what has been your response as we've explored something of the nature of the heart of God? As we think through this, I'll get the band just to quietly come up. Your response will be a personal thing, an individual thing. But remember the word Shema. Pay attention to, give heed to, focus on, allow the words to sink in. Provide understanding, generate a response. Listen and obey, listen and take action. I don't believe we can hear more about God and understand more about God and not respond in some way. If you've been an admirer over the past few weeks, perhaps you might be thinking, oh yes, that was a good message I heard from such and such a person. That was helpful. He made some good points. She made some good points. They read a Bible passage I hadn't heard before. Yeah, I, I liked hearing that. I enjoyed the Easter services. They were great. There was something that one of our speakers said that really resonated with me at the time, but I can't remember what it was now. 
But if you've been a follower the past few weeks and you're hearing more about who God is and the nature of his heart, then there'll be questions such as, well, God, where does this deeper understanding of you take me? I want to follow you. Where do you want me to go? God, what is it that you want me to do? God, what aspect of my life do I have to open up more to you? Who is it that I need to reach out and draw into the faith? They're the kind of questions that a follower would ask. Just as my impression of Prince Philip has changed over the past week, I wonder if your impression of God has changed and what that means to you personally. Because I don't think it's enough to be at church and to hear messages each week and to continue living a life that hasn't changed in some way. Shema, to listen, to obey, to listen and respond, to listen and to act. There's another passage in Deuteronomy I'd like to read and I'll finish with this one from Deuteronomy chapter 10. As I mentioned before, often when there's some revelation of who God is, there's a required response. And Moses says to the people, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God. That means to respect him, to revere him. And to live in a way that pleases him. And love him. And serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. To fear the Lord, to please him, to love him, to serve him, to obey him. I believe this is what our response should be. Let's pray. God, we thank you that who who you are is someone who is above anyone else in all of history from the dawn of creation to this point and on into the future, Lord. There'll be no one like you. Lord, thank you that you choose to reveal yourself to us. Lord, as we understand your heart, may we respond to that. May we be true followers, not just admirers of the word. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to really listen, hearts that are open and eyes that see. And then we would hear what it is you're saying to us. Father, I pray that we'll be people of action and not people who just take it in and forget about it. God, you're a good God. We love you and we thank you for all you do for us, that your love is an action and may our love in turn be the same. Amen.